Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Feckin' Metal. I'm your host, Fergal Trainer. Uh, as I speak, it is the 29th of October. This will be up on Friday the 30th. And because it's so close to Halloween, of course, some little pricks outside have decided to let off a load of fireworks. So I'm going to be editing those out of this after I record it. Uh, but they've been letting off fireworks since August, uh, would you believe? don't know what's happened this year in Dublin, but for some reason, maybe it's the lockdown or maybe it's something to do with that. People just being completely bored. But yeah, I've been hearing fireworks since August, mid-August, to the point where it was becoming so frequent in August that I had to think to myself, is it the 4th of July? And I was like, no, of course not. That was weeks ago. But yeah, uh, fireworks are going off in the background. If I don't manage to successfully edit them all out, you might hear some. Um, but yes, this is episode eight. And later on, I'll be speaking to my guest, Trevor William Church from Haunt, the singer and a multi-instrumentalist from Haunt, and currently, at the moment, with his current work, he's doing everything. He's doing drums, bass, singing, and guitar, and he's done bits and pieces of that on and off over the years, um, but he writes all of the stuff himself. He, it's really a one-man band with, with people coming in and kind of like a, dic- a dictatorship, which he, he also says himself. Uh, so Haunt is, is a band I've been listening to for years since their Luminous Eyes EP came out back in 2017. And uh, as mentioned on multiple previous episodes of Feckin' Metal, Trevor is one of the most prolific, if not the most prolific musician I've ever seen. Maybe Neil Young would come close. Uh, I'm just trying to think of who could match him. Or maybe Prince back in... Uh, the the noughties and the 2010s before he died um but jesus trevor he releases an album um every gust of wind you know um, and it's good stuff as well so i had a great chat with trevor and unfortunately the problem with that episode is we did it on zoom and there was a poor internet connection for the first half of the episode so he kept cutting out on me and there was a delay and unfortunately because of that i had to cut a lot of material from the episode some of it was not usable at all uh unfortunately eventually he moved rooms he moved from his kind of shared studio place into his uh his main house he, he had to walk around for a while to find a suitable location um and stop to get a snack on the way uh, that's our trevor um but he, he eventually settled in a bedroom and, and the internet connection was much better. So the audio was noticeably better in the second half of the podcast. The first half, I had to edit it to, within an inch of its life to salvage whatever I could from it. Uh, I'll get to that in a few minutes though. But before that, just some heavy metal news. Is it heavy metal news? You can decide. So I found out today, uh, again, the 29th of October, it is the 26th anniversary of the Deep Purple album, Perfect Strangers. Um, is that a heavy metal album, you might ask? Well, according to Wikipedia, it is. And we all know that Wikipedia is the one source of the truth on defining what is and isn't heavy metal so right you are there you are um but that album is an excellent deep purple album that doesn't get as much attention as the ones from the 70s because a lot of people become disinterested in deep purple after the 70s almost look kind of like motorhead after the 70s and 80s they lose interest but um that album has Perfect Strangers, Knocking at Your Back Door, Mean Streak, um, Nobody Home, and a really nice instrumental from Richie Blackmore, a 10-minute instrumental called Son of Alaric, which is technically a bonus track, but I think it's on most releases these days, especially the standard CD release. But um, I was first introduced to that album, or the songs from that album, from an, an amazing compilation that my friend Kevin Daly bought back in 2004, uh, and it was called... Uh, Purple Rainbows was the name of it. So Kevin Daly was my guest on episode one of Feckin' Metal. And if you want to hear about our metal evolution and journey and how we got into heavy metal, you can go back and listen to that. But uh, this album was... uh, He he was the king of compilations, actually. He bought so many compilations that opened up our... um, 
our, our minds to music. So there were bands on Purple Rainbows. Basically, it was the Deep Purple family tree. So it had every band that was associated with Deep Purple in some way. And it even had a diagram of the Deep Purple family tree inside, I believe. So it had the likes of Deep Purple, Rainbow, Whitesnake, Gillen, Dio, even Graham Bonnet got on there. And the songs, the track selection was just unbelievable. So we'd, we'd listen to Deep Purple. We'd listen to In Rock and Machine Head. We'd listen to some Rainbow. Uh, we had listened... We hadn't listened to White Snake or Gillen, and we hadn't listened to Dio, the band, um, just Dio and Black Sabbath and Dio and Rainbow. But getting this album, and sorry, yeah, we only knew 70s Deep Purple. Getting this album opened our eyes to the likes of Perfect Strangers, the likes of Knocking At Your Back Door. Then you had Dio classic songs like We Rock and Rock and Roll Children. Um, for some reason, Holy Diver didn't make it onto the album, which is, is shocking, to be honest, but... Uh, the other tracks included there with the likes of uh, Deep Purple songs like You Keep On Moving, one from the uh, album, album they did with Tommy Bolin in the 70s. Again, it's not talked about as much as um, the other albums, uh, Come Taste the Band, that one. Um, but yeah, that that um, compilation was eye-opening and ear-opening and made us go and investigate so many more of those bands. And it also had the White Snake song, Here I Go Again, but not the synth swamped one from their 1987 album. Uh, the US remix, which was released for US rock radio, a uh, much harder rock version of that song, which I've always thought is the definitive version, but you don't find it in too many places, especially not compilations. So it was nice to see that one um, on that album. At the time, I didn't realize that that was a unique kind of uh, version of that song until I heard it so often later in the future. And I was like, this, this isn't this isn't the one I want. Uh, and I had to go and find what the difference was between these those two versions. But that's the difference. One was mixed for US radio, um, and one was just the album or single version that is more common. Anyway, that's Purple Rainbows, and it's the 26th anniversary of uh, Perfect Strangers by Deep Purple. Go seek that out if you want to listen to some Deep Purple that isn't from the 1970s. Um, it's just as good as some of those albums, in my opinion. Uh, so moving on, uh, Fireworks. I've talked about that. Sorry, I'm just looking at my notes here. Uh, oh yeah, and one absolute gem of a song, sorry, on Purple Rainbows, is the song Night Games by Graham Bonnet. So Graham Bonnet only really featured on one Rainbow album. He was the singer who replaced Ronnie James Dio in Rainbow uh, when Richie Blackmore wanted to go in a more commercial direction for the album Down to Earth, which was out in 79. He replaced Dio with Graham Bonnet and they released songs such as All Night Long and the famous song Since You've Been Gone. Uh, but uh, Bonnet only lasted one album um, with Rainbow and then he was replaced again by Joe Lynn Turner but uh, Bonnet went on to release a solo album and he had a song called Night Games which again I had never heard until I got this or like until Kevin got the uh, Purple Rainbows compilation but that's an absolute belter from the 80s or maybe it's the 70s I'm not sure maybe early 80s I'm not sure it's either late 70s or early 80s and uh, it's an excellent really catchy brilliant song that epitomizes that time in in hard rock music uh, go and seek that one out night games by graham bonnet uh, but sorry yeah moving on um not going to talk any about any more music before i move on but i am going to talk about merchandise so we're in the middle of a lockdown bands can't really release music or play gigs well they can release music but they're kind of holding off in a lot of cases before they do um till next year and they can't play any gigs so Personally, I have been supporting bands that I like by buying merchandise from them. And there are so many options now today with Bandcamp being a direct shop window into a band. Uh, and then other places like uh, no, Remor no Remorse Records, which I've bought vinyl albums from Eternal Champion and Glacier On. I, I got a t-shirt from each as well. Those are arriving in the post shortly. But then uh, for several bands there 
uh, that I've spoken about on this podcast, their merchandise is available on a website called King's Road Merch. So that is a place where you can find all the official Night Demon merchandise. You can find Visigoth merchandise there and you can find Sirith Ungol stuff there as well. And they have some really nice designs of t-shirts, hoodies. And if you're like me and you live in Europe and you are dissuaded from ordering from Bandcamp because of the de- exorbitant delivery fees, for example, if I wanted to order the Glacier album from America, the delivery fee is actually more expensive than the vinyl album itself. So I had to go to No Remorse, which is, is Europe, uh, based in Europe, and the delivery fee was much less steep. Um, but the good thing about King's Road, Road merch is they have an American uh, section, they have a UK, a European, and a German uh, shop. So you can pick which one best suits you. So I picked the, U, the European one. I ordered a load of merchandise from Visigoth back in, must have been late last year or early this year and it was about 100 euro and the delivery for all of it i think was only 10 euro combined uh, which was outrageous outrageously cheap um so it was really really uh, good value for money i've since ordered stuff night demon t-shirts from there um, and i'm eyeing up a sirith ungol hoodie now having gotten into them a good bit recently and there's just some beautiful designs. If you if you like merchandise and you want to support some bands in the lockdown, have a look at King's Road merch. Have a look at Bandcamp. Uh, have a look, a look at No Remorse Records as well. Um, and one particular band, my first proper interview on feckin' metal was Kyle McNeil from Seven Sisters, who wrote the music as well, the intro music. Uh, and Seven Sisters have some lovely merchandise up as well at the moment. So they've a new zip-up hoodie, which I'm a huge fan of. Uh, they have a mug as well and a coaster. And they have... What else did they put up? I can't remember. Oh, yeah, they put up a, a really nice grey T-shirt with like a grey Seven Sisters logo on it. So I ordered all three of those items because I thought they were really good quality and a bit different to the norm, especially with the mug and coaster. I'm a big fan of a novelty mug. Um, so anyway, that's probably enough for me. Here is the heavily edited version of an interview I did with Trevor William Church uh, last night in real time. That would have been the 28th of October. Uh, and apologies for the edits. There was no way around it. I couldn't I couldn't throw away all that material, but I couldn't salvage it all either. So this is the best I could do with the material I had. Uh, and you'll hear a lot of uninterrupted material uh, on the second half of that interview as well. So, um, look, thanks very much. And here's Trevor William Church from Haunt. Hey, Trevor. Hello. How are you? Oh, you know, just trying to get it all done today. Going to roll up a joint now and try to relax. Fair enough. Uh, I was watching your Facebook Live earlier. Yeah, uh, I've been I've been um, working on um, this band Saber that I, dr- I dr- I've been drumming for for like this last year, kind of. Yeah, I had a hard time finding a drummer, and these guys just became really good friends of mine. So I thought it'd be a good idea to actually help them move things along, so to speak. Just adding another uh, another string to your bow. <laughs> You know, I feel I feel like um, you know. I think it's really kind of cool to be able to put your name on as many things as humanly possible. Yeah, because we're only we're only here one time. That's true. That's true. We are. So, indeed. so I, I'm like, you know what? While I have the energy, I better do all that I can before I get to a point where I am like, you know what? I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing something else. Probably won't probably won't ever happen because i i'm just so <laughs> driven by music yeah i don't but believe I pretend, you to be honest <laughs> i pretend to go yeah i'm gonna one day do this and like my wife is like oh she's always like yeah right 
because like every every time like I start this like new musical thing, I end up she's like she's like you just get sucked in, and I'm like yeah, pretty much. It always yeah. takes over somehow, and I just always get drunk. Just I just get driven towards it, even though I'm like I'm gonna do a little bit less this year. And the next thing you know, I have more stuff happening and more yeah. ambitions and more new things that I want to do. I didn't think I'd be drumming on other people's records ever. I thought I was just going to be the drummer on my shit. Yeah. Well, look, and, um, I was going to do a formal start to the podcast, but I think this is good. Let's just yeah. leave it like this. Um, but yeah, you're, so you've been drumming right. on uh, Sabre and also on Oat, uh, a band from, yes. well, a project from the UK. How did that one come yep. about? Stephen Waddle, the, the songwriter for it, we became like Facebook friends a few years back. He started following Haunt and he was just messaging me his, you know, his music that he'd been doing. And I was like, cool, it sounds good. And, you know, he's very similar to me, just kind of just doing his own thing. Yeah. It gets really hard as you get older. I think people don't realize what it means to be a 30-something. I'm almost 40. Uh, mm. year old trying to like live this young man's dream and lifestyle and here I meet somebody that is basically just like me but from the UK and one day he had just posted a new post and I was like listening to his song I was like wow he's gotten very catchy he's written some really catchy songs I just couldn't get past the electronic drums yeah, I yeah. was just like this. I was like, this is holding you back hard. And the other thing is, he just doesn't have the kind of equipment that I have. As you can see here in my studio, I got like everything from my from my you know console to over here on my left is all my analog, my little analog mixing rack. And I told him, I said, hey, look, it started off as two songs, and then he's like, let me write some more, do EP, and then he wrote an EP, and I'm like, you know, while you have me don't you think it would be a good idea just let's just make an album because who the fuck knows if i'm going to be able to continue on with him you know it's like you just don't know right now it's covid i'm not touring i'm not rehearsing i'm not doing anything other than creating music it just made a lot more sense to so he wrote more songs and i was like perfect so we came up with the record and it's just really been interesting because um i never thought i would like collaborate on a record with somebody that literally lives thousands of miles from me yeah. all over the internet transatlantic all over facebook <laughs> yeah yeah it's, all, it's... all you know all our conversations have been through facebook as you know like 30 years ago the phone conversations we had would have been like 200 dollars. you know what i mean yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like <laughs> it's really been able we were able to connect in a, in in that way and that's been really cool. And his music is really good. He writes really good songs. Uh, some of my favorite stuff from the UK, seriously, right now, as far as like new stuff, his old stuff, he just didn't know what he was doing. Kind of mm. like me when I was starting, you know? Yeah. I was going to say, the original Oak uh, EP kind of reminds me of the first Haunt release, uh, Luminous Eyes. It was kind of like lo-fi. It wasn't particular, like the production wasn't there where it is now yet so and it was like four tracks there's there's a lot of similarities oh yeah I've grown, I've grown leap I've, I've grown i've grown leaps and bounds like i said there was an immediate connection i think those kind of connections are what really makes make things come to life and steven is very driven he's very similar to me he has way more kids than me so 
I have way more respect for for him than even myself because I'm like, how do you manage to have a job, three kids, write all this music, have all this drive? It's because he loves music so much and I'm very similar. And that was um, a really, we're actually just about to get all that stuff put in the wheelhouse now. I was literally looking at the layouts right before I got on the line with you. Even though today's been interview day, I've done two other, um, not, not, um, uh, typed interviews. You're my only live one for today. Okay. All that right. I get to hear my voice. So <laughs> it's, it's always, it's so weird because the difference of typing an interview and doing an interview is so different. I would so say, so yeah. different. Yeah. Well, because here I'm just saying whatever the fuck. And when I'm <laughs> typing, I'm like, thinking about what I'm typing as I'm typing it yeah. and it comes off a little bit more like a, um, like an autobiography more than an interview. <laughs> so uh, you, know? you, you played um, a clip or you played, I think most of the song, uh, computer warrior on one of your recent Facebook live streams, which is a, an oath song. Uh, you were worried that uh, Stephen was going to have words with you afterwards about it. Was he annoyed that you played the song or did he find out or what happened? You know, I always, I have this thing that I, that I tell the bands that work with me because like right now I'm, you know, I have, I have haunt, which is me. So nobody, I can't really get mad at myself for the things that I do. <laughs> but when I was working with Shadow Kingdom Records, I used to go, this is going to piss them off, but I'm going to show you guys this shit anywhere. I'll deal with the repercussions later. Yeah. But I've always been really good at connecting with people. And I think that part of, you know, connecting with my fans first you know, first and foremost, they are able to tangibly hear me, tangibly answer, you know, ask me things and I'm there to respond mm. and kind of give them a little inner glimpse of everything that I'm doing has really been a lot of fun and has really made, you know, the internet really a useful tool that's not so much like generic. I don't want really, I'm going to say that word loosely, but um, it's not like, I don't know. Some some shit can be really like whatever online. I think me just going on there and just being me has has been a, a cool thing for my fans. I get people that reach out to me and being like, I love your Facebook live shit. Don't ever stop. And I'm like, I'm not. I've been doing it for like five years. I can't stop. I don't know what also I don't know what to do right now. I don't really I don't really particularly feel like doing like live streaming. So showing people, you know, computer warrior and stuff like Steven is just been very happy just to have me on board because I think, you know, a little bit of help is what he needed. He yeah. needed somebody to take it. Not everybody has the ability to do live drums in their backyard. And, no. he and, and you know, you sound like, where are you from? Are you from Ireland, Ireland. Scotland, Ireland, or England? Uh, Ireland. Yeah. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure almost everybody in the UK can uh, appreciate the fact that everything is kind of small quarters. You're going to live in a flat. You're going to live in an apartment. It's very hard to be incredibly loud in those places. Yes, You might piss somebody off. Yeah, definitely. I don't have those limitations. I have space. So okay. nobody is bitching at me at drumming. I think that's the limitation that Steven has, being You're able right. to do it from an apartment. Just, you know, I asked him, I said, where do you do your vocals? He said, 
He goes, mate, I fucking did them in, the, in my cupboard. And I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> to sit there, to have this thing in a cupboard? Yeah. Fucking hell, man. Yeah. So it was really interesting to take all his shit. Also done on a really tight budget on his part. Mm. I would love to have him here. I wish yeah. I could have flown him over here and, and you know, him had done everything here. But I think with what we did, with the limitations that he was, you know, had available, is something special within itself. Okay. And he was not mad. And I just said the same thing as Saber. They sent me a message immediately. They're like, they sent, me, they sent a little knife emoji. <laughs> but I think they were thrilled that, you know, um, again, they wouldn't have had, they would, they would have been in, they would have been in Stevens, uh, same predicament. Mm. electronic drums yeah, yeah hadn't i stepped in you yeah. know so i think they owe me the uh that little bit of like i'm gonna do whatever the fuck i want kind of thing mm. um nobody's gonna get that mad it's just more or less they're like ah i wanted to wait but i think unfortunately i think saber has gotten my best audio quality thus far because right. every time i do a new album i reinvest in the yeah, studio yeah. so every record has a new piece of equipment and that's how it's been since day one uh when i started beastmaker and i started making a little bit of money on beastmaker every time i got money i bought something to further that because yeah. there well, just is nowhere in fresno to record i'm not really able to leave for a long period of time nor do i want to i don't like I don't particularly like being in Los Angeles, even though I think it's an awesome city. Um, mm. I, I like being at home, being able to wake up in my pajamas, not get dressed, not take a shower, not do anything, go inside and make a sandwich, go inside, have a bowl of cereal. <laughs> uh, so maybe, maybe I sacrifice some audience, you know, yeah, yeah. It could have been better. It could not have been better. I don't know. And sometimes I go back and listen to records that I love, and I'm like listening, and I'm like, God, this was recorded on a fucking million dollar budget at one point in time, and it does not really sound that great yeah. in modern standards. I sure. suppose I, you know, I I love it. It's what it is, you know. I wish more people would ask me. They asked me what makes an album and an album for you in your studio as an engineer, as a producer. I always say this one memorable thing is what makes an album. I don't care how great or bad it sounds. It needs something that when somebody listens to it, it's going to get stuck in their head. And okay. I think even back in the day when people didn't know what they were even doing with audio engineering and were just playing it by trial, you know, trial by fire, they were thinking the same thing. If I can get one thing that is memorable here and at least sounds good enough to people's ears where it isn't hurting your ears, you know, because there's like obviously frequencies that are just, oh, or you just kind of fell short, you know, there's a big difference. Uh, but having that one memorable thing on there is where what makes or breaks a record, in my opinion. Very good. That's, that's an interesting point, actually. So yeah. you could ask me a question no. I, I was just going to say you, you purchase a new piece of equipment for each new haunt release and i was saying that i've certainly noticed the improvement in sound quality from the very early demo or the initial ep right up until the modern uh, most recent album triumph like the sound is just yeah. miles away from where you started 
So that's definitely noticeable as a listener. I will tell you this right now. I fucked up Mind Freeze horribly. Okay. Right. Um, I, I didn't do the drums here. I did them elsewhere, and I couldn't get them to connect. Yeah, Mind Freeze. And it's okay. some of my best stuff, and I couldn't, I couldn't sleep on it. I wanted to re-record it immediately, but there was this part of me that was telling me, get it out before you kill it, you, before you, you kill it dead in its tracks. Of course, there's that longing to actually get that drum connect to the music connect. Yeah. Um, where I failed, where I feel like if I would have got the drums to sound like flashback on Mind Freeze, I would have been a much happier guy. Now we go back further, like Icarus and Burst into Flame, I don't really feel that as much. I'm like, it was what it was when it was, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It is what it is. But because I was learning, Mind Freeze, I knew from the second we did the drums and to when I started doing the other work in my studio, I knew there was a huge flaw. You're going to get a second version that's not really a second version. I'm putting some of the stuff on my next record beautiful distraction um uh, okay i decided to redo hearts on fire but that one specifically really came out flawed in my personal opinion okay fair enough well, that's actually one of the better tracks i think but, on the album see there you go that just shows you i don't know shit <laughs> i don't even know i don't even know what i'm doing half the time i just i just put it out there i go well here Hopefully yeah. it's liked by somebody. Some people would think I'm shooting myself in the foot. For me, I'm just following the DIY path, my friend. Yeah. Nothing more. I'm not really worried about being the biggest rock star on the planet. I'm just trying to document this plethora of music that I like, that I write, that just seems that, like, I, even though beautiful distraction my next record i've already released the artwork to show people like hey i got something in the works yeah i've seen it Jim. i'm already working on the next album even though that one's not even finished i ask you a question uh so go ahead i was gonna ask say a uh, question you said you don't want to be you don't want to be the biggest rock star but do you think you're the busiest man in rock uh, i was speaking to jarvis letterby a while ago and i jokingly said that he might be the busiest man in rock or else it's you it's one of the two of you but uh do you think you're currently the busiest man in rock I would say as far as recording stuff, I might be doing a little bit more than Jarvis. Yeah. As far as the business side, because he manages bands. Mm. I don't manage bands. And he's also diving into some other areas. We talk a lot on the phone, he and I. We are very kindred. Yeah. Um, I, I really rely on him for... When I, when I am really in a state of self-doubt, the first person that gets a phone call is Jarvis because they'll give it to me straight. Um, I, I don't know. He's done stuff with Sirith Ungle. You know, he did the recording with those guys. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, actively involved with Jaguar. Um, he's a really busy guy. Night Demon does a lot of touring. I don't really ever want to tour like Night Demon tours. That's not for me. Yeah. I'm kind of stuck in the studio kind of guy. Like I like to be here. I like the creative side. I don't know who's busier. We'll see. <laughs> I guarantee you. I'm very busy. I try to stay busy. And it's not important to me who's the busiest. It's more or less that we're all keeping the spirit of, of music alive. Uh, you know. And he and I in California, 
we might be the two busiest guys in California. Let's okay. put let's end it there. I don't know what everybody else is doing. I know. I was and just there's look- me, and then, and then there's some labels. There's record labels that do a lot, but as far as independent musicians go, yeah, we're both in bands, and we're both keeping our hands full. Very good stuff. Okay. Um, Does that so- answer it? Yeah, I know. I just was looking okay. for a bit of friendly competition uh, between you and Jarvis there. <laughs> but uh, I think you're both. Yeah. I think you're tied. Yeah. Okay, I, I've moved. I oh, moved Jesus Christ. My, I That's moved a, inside my house. It probably looks a million times better. This is a hundred times better. Sorry, it was dropping in and out the whole time. And I didn't. And I think there was a delay as well. So we were kind of interrupting each other and stuff. So uh, yeah, yeah. Was, I'm sorry that, about that. No, it's fine. It was just, it was difficult for me because I was like, I was uh, not. I wasn't sure if you were answering the question or, or what was going on. So okay, so where did we leave off, and let's start from there. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I was mentioning that I thought that um, I I'd heard you kind of express frustrations about the traditional model of releasing albums and records and doing press releases and stuff, where you you like to work at your own speed and and do things and release stuff when you think it's ready or whatever. Um. So yeah. To me, it seems like you have a lot more freedom now the way you're, you're releasing music um, than the traditional record label model that you were previously on with Shadow King. Yeah, and they weren't, they weren't all that bad except for this last one, Mind Freeze. Um, I really wanted to put it out immediately and I had to wait till 2020 knowing that I already had, I had most of Flashback already written. I had actually the song was already done recorded and I was like, man, I'm just... I really wanted to like start to work in a way where it was kind of like real time with my fans so they could actually hear what I was working on when I'm working on it, not have this delayed like, okay, here it is a year later. I'm not the same person every year. I'm evolving year to year. (laughs) So, I mean, it's very frustrating to always be a year behind yourself. You're like... I'm not even that person anymore. I've grown. There's something's happened. So I, w- I found it really annoying that we had to, we were going off a of business model based off of the 1980s yeah. and 2020 when basically the demand for physical music has lessened so much. It's not what it used to be. Um, so with all this streaming and the digital and all that stuff, I was like, well, where is the comp? Why? Why do we even wait anymore? Like mm. people want, and people want instant satisfactions. Now they want to be entertained. And I was like, what's more entertaining than releasing your music when it's actually done. Yeah. Instead of, instead of waiting a year, and some people, maybe the anticipation is good for some people. It's not good for me. I'm not, I'm not one for, I don't like anticipation. I just want it done. I don't want to wait. I want, I want to hear it now. And that's how a lot of people feel. And I'm like the guy to give that to them. So uh, Shadow Kingdom wasn't bad with that. He was probably the best with it that I have worked with because it didn't take eight months. Some would say, yeah, that's the way to do it. I would say for me, it is not the way to do it. And for my fans, yeah, they don't seem to be very bothered by it. And I don't put out big albums. They're eight songs. So like 
my my general goal was to do an album and an EP a year. And I've kind of stuck to that. So if you really look at how things were released, um, they were. It's like Burst in the Flame. And well, you had, you had Luminous Eyes, then you had Burst in the Flame. You have Icarus Could Fly, then you have Mosaic Vision. And then we get to Mind Freeze, and things kind of shifted this year, obviously, because COVID. Yeah. And even though Mind Freeze was recorded July of last year, it didn't see the light of day until 2020. So really, it was last year. Shit, I just got a little bit sidetracked and was like, "Well, I'm going to do flashback now." Because when I got home, I started working on this thing, and some people will have seen it on my Facebook Live stuff. Um, I started showing them songs that were unfinished, and I was like trying to have this like interactive, like, "Okay, well, this these are the songs that I'm I have for the EP." Um, I had "Beautiful Distraction," the song, and then a couple others that. Um, were going to be the EP. And then I had these other ones that I had like interactive stuff with my fans. I'm like, I have this riff from, you know, if Icarus could fly, I wanted it to be, we were going to put it on the album. And then, and then my bass player, my live bass player came over and I showed it to me. He's like, this song has the worst chorus I ever heard. And I said, I hate this chorus. <laughs> I was like, I hate this chorus so much. I can't stand it. <laughs> and so I was like rewriting stuff with my fan, like with, you know, interacting with my fans and being like, what do you guys think? They're like, this part's good. This part sucks. You're right. Go redo it. Mm. And I, and they're like, Hey, in, in kind of my mission statement was like no song left behind. I didn't really want to leave music that I had written behind. I don't know how artists do this. Yeah. I really don't. Mm. I have a hard time. I, I really challenge. I really struggle with that being like, okay. What makes a good song a good song? Because as you were saying before, you're like, Hearts on Fire is the best one on um, Mind Freeze. Yeah, I would I would say differently. I would be, I, my favorite is Voyager. So therefore, I don't know shit. You know, I, I kind of I kind of am a fool. And that's why I, got, I, I kind of created that no, le- no song left behind mentality because... I don't know what's the best. I don't yeah. know if it's good or bad. My my opinion of my music is far different than others. And therefore, again, like kind of this DIY thing, it works for some, doesn't work for others. It's not for everybody. Um, I think it will be eventually. I think more more artists will be gravitating towards that because they're going to find it very challenging to do business music business in 2020 because it's harder to earn a living as a musician now i wanted to ask you actually about um Bandcamp. so i noticed like your your recent releases aren't on spotify anymore i'm guessing since yeah. you, since you left shadow kingdom but um is Bandcamp a platform that's working well for you it seems to be uh, something that's working very well for you it changed my life okay <laughs> it changed it so much i had to have a day job up until this year so I was not only doing all the shit that I'm, I'm doing, but I was also working at yeah. my job. And since the day Bandcamp, that I learned about Bandcamp, I was like, this is great. Like, I could put my music on here. Sorry, I'm eating some cheese. It's okay. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm hella hungry right now. Um, I, I saw an opportunity to connect 
And strangely, with Beastmaker's first releases, they did not want my music to be on Bandcamp, even though I had seen the success of my You Must Sin demo from Bandcamp. I started seeing all these people buying it, and I was like, holy shit, we have enough money to buy t-shirts now, and I don't have to be broke. Yeah. You know, so I started seeing right, right from the bat that it was like, there's something here. And that was part of something with Shadow Kingdom that I really, I, was, I told him, I said, when I, I'll give you Luminous Eyes and I'll work with you, but I keep 100% of Bandcamp. You get nothing from it. You don't you, you get nothing. It's mine. Mm. And he agreed. So therefore, it allowed me to build my Bandcamp page, be something that's sustainable for me as a musician so I can continue on. And I think others are seeing that as well and starting to gravitate to, to it because you cannot... Okay, let me give you an example. Saber, the band that I'm working with right now, they got an offer. Yeah. The offer was $1,500 for the album, and that was that. Right. You cannot make an album for $1,500. That's So labels nowadays are offering very not... They, basically, the bands are paying for the album themselves these days. And then and what, does, what does the label get then from that? Do they own the distribution rights? Do they get royalties? How did they, what do they get for their $1,500? They own the masters. They own the art. Um, they, it's generally a licensing deal that's going to go anywhere from five to ten years, generally, or ten year, or a bigger label that pays a little bit more. They own the masters indefinitely, and they own the licensing from ten to twenty-five years. So is that from what I from yeah. what I've seen with my own eyes? You should some of the deals that I've been thrown. I'm just like you guys are out of your fucking mind if you think <laughs> I'm taking that. And, and, you know, but it's so bad. I'm like, I'm like, that's not. I was like, why, why would I work this hard to do this shit when I could just go work wherever and and have a better life? Like, yeah, I, to really you, do this with all your heart, you cannot be doing all kinds of other shit. You have to focus on your music. If you can't make a living doing it, it's so hard. When you it's say licensing. Struggling. Licensing, is that like they get uh, a percentage on the merchandise or do they get all of it or, or, or what, how does that work? Basically, a licensing means is that is they basically are the only person that can manufacture it okay. from that given date to whenever the date on that contract is. They are the ones that are able to use that. When that licensing deal is over, if they own the masters, so anybody you deal with after that, they still have to deal with that label to um, license the masters from that label, right. even though you're free to kind of r r graze to different pastures, okay. so, to speak. <laughs> so to speak. For me, I don't like that. I, I mean, a lot of people would think I'm, I'm crazy for not working with a bigger label that has bigger reach. I'm like, again, we go back to I don't care. Yeah. I don't really, the popularity contest is over. I'm 40 almost. I'll be 40 years old in 2021. And I'm not as concerned with that as, as I'm concerned with continuing forward. I'd rather have the small fan base that supports what I do and allows me to be in that studio full time. Yeah. Period. Way more important. Okay. Okay. Good stuff. And uh, are you finished then with Spotify completely? Are you not going to see anything else on Spotify so, ever again? So what I so with Spotify, I I've recently come up with what my plan is because it's something 
it's called commercial digital distribution. Mm -hmm. You upload your shit and it goes to every streaming platform now. And they give you a very nominal fraction of a penny for your art. Yeah. Their way of sucking you into this is by telling you, well, by not being on here, you're missing out on 50,000 listeners per year, right? Mm. But to me, I look at it as I look at it totally different. I look at Spotify and I go, well, without the music, you literally have nothing. You're yes. not musicians. You're not putting out music. Why do you get to dictate what we get? Yeah. So I don't like that. I don't like that like over too much power and control over the artist. That's why I like Bandcamp. It's artist to fan. They take a fee, but it's really nominal. It's really similar to what a credit card company would charge a store for the transaction. Yeah. And they're also hosting it and having to take care of encryption and all the things that, you know, cybersecurity that they have to deal with. So I look at Bandcamp and I go, well, I would have to go somewhere. This is a good place for me. I like your mission statement. It's about the music to the fan. Band Spotify's mission statement is completely different and has nothing to do with the artist. The artist isn't even in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're like a, you're like the second class citizen to Spotify. So um, I just realized, I, you know, I do feel that I'm, I need to do something. I was like, I need to do something, but I do not want to put my albums up there. And as I was looking at my Spotify artist page the other day, I noticed that Luminous Eyes and Mosaic Visions is in this single section. Yeah. And I just recently had this Black Sabbath cover come out. So I've been getting a lot more emails from Spotify than I, than I have recently about my single that just was released, all the logistics and all that shit. St. Peter Stance, that one? Yeah. And um, I realized, I said, you know what I'm going to do? Because I don't want to alienate everybody that doesn't want to like stream it from the Bandcamp app or have to buy it or whatever. I'm going to put one song from each of my albums up. That's all you get. <laughs> That's good. That's you I like want that. more. You want more. You have to support what I do, period. Right. I mean, I'm not asking that much. And you actually could stream it from my band camp, I, I think, infinitely. I'm not 100% sure how that's all set up. I don't really stream my own music for my band yeah. camp page, but um it, it asks you to buy the music after a certain number of streams uh so well hey that's that's, that's all fair no it's very fair yeah definitely very fair um i mean at the end of the day it's like would i go to your work and go okay um you know it's like having going into an ice cream shop and sampling all the flavors and not even buying a scoop <laughs> they'd be like what an asshole that guy is right yeah. It's like, why do we not have the same respect for musicians? Like, oh, here, you can take my shit for free while I'm what? Like, you've streamed it enough times. Yeah. Give me, give me your $1 for that song. My God, it's not like, 
It's not like I'm killing anybody for like, it's like $50 to buy the record. I have people buying my album overseas, spending $24 on shipping it there. Mm. The album costs $44. Yeah. So for me, those people, I'm like, if, the, if my music means that much to them, the the person that just streams nine dollars isn't going to kill them. If that person could spend forty four dollars, yeah, it's true. So it's a weird. It's a weird time. Music business again, like it's shifted. Twenty twenty is not nineteen eighty, nineteen ninety, or the two thousands. It has changed exponentially. Good stuff. Okay. Um. So you mentioned on a recent Facebook Live uh, post that you're looking to r- write more profound, soulful, meaningful songs uh like you, you mentioned that there's going to be kind of be a new era of haunt and you played a, a clip of a track uh windows of your heart i think you called it yeah to yeah. me it sounded very different from even your recent releases so i also heard you say on an interview a while back that um you're not really interested too much in being part of the new wave of traditional traditional heavy metal you don't place too much stock in like being a new judas priest or a new iron maiden but you said something no. like when am i going to be journey and i thought that was quite interesting because like you're looking at a much bigger picture, like a much bigger sound, uh, a transition in sound from your earlier releases into something quite different by the sounds of it. I don't think that... I, okay, let me first off, let's, let's clarify a couple of things. There's nothing wrong with like the new wave. I like new wave, but traditional heavy metal a lot. Um, I've, I'm not a huge fan of being pigeonholed. This, this, that killed my previous band, Beastmaker, because we got pigeonholed into doom metal. Right. And when I tried to escape it, it didn't go over well. Okay. So I've never, first off, I never heard the term new wave of traditional heavy metal until after Luminous Eyes was released. Cause somebody had asked me an interview and they're like, what is it like to be one of the, you know, rising bands in the new wave of traditional heavy metal? It's out there somewhere. And I'm like, the fuck is new wave of traditional heavy metal? <laughs> I had never heard of that before. I was just thought it was old yeah. school. I, I, I always refer to the kind of music that I listen to, old school heavy metal at this yeah. point. Okay. Because that's how I, I looked at it. Um, when you create a genre, a couple things happen. Oversaturation, and we're already seeing it. I can't keep up. Mm. Um, and too much of the same. And when I look at bands that are in that, in the, in the current genre, yeah, there might be some similarities, but I also feel like I've never been much of like a Iron Maiden type band. I think people have taken my dual guitar riffs and really looked at them as Iron Maiden worship, yet yeah. I feel it's more Thin Lizzy worship. Right. Okay. It's more geared at classic rock and classic metal and bands like blue oyster cult yeah, yeah more than more than judas priest my favorite judas priest records are the first two three rock Rolla, sad wings of destiny and sin after sin after yeah. that it's kind of like i like the records a lot i really do like screaming for ben screaming for vengeance and when i listen to the riffs on that album they actually remind me more of their earlier 70s work than their stuff in the eighties. I feel like it's like kind of more old school still and not going into that more new wave of British heavy metal. Mm. Um, so there, there is a disconnect for me where I, I don't 
like generally uh, feel is uh, connected to it. And it's somewhere where I felt like a little bit lost because I'm not doing all the falsetto screams yes. at all. Yeah. It's completely void in my music. I wanted to do something that was more natural for me because I could do all that stuff. There, I have no limitations musically as far as sonics go. I could sing in falsetto all day. I choose not to. Mm. It's not, it doesn't feel natural to me. Okay. It, it's something that, like you could ask, so Saber was just here, and you could ask Stevie in an interview, the singer, when we were, when I was producing, I was singing his notes, you know? I was like right there screaming with him. How could you be a producer and not do what you're asking somebody to do? So I, I always have, and plus since I like music like that, I'm not saying I don't like that. I love it. It just doesn't feel like me. I wanted to be able to play guitar and sing. And I look at people like Phil Linnett, who's a bassist, and I go, he never had to go over the top. Yeah. He kept it right from the soul and did what felt what he wanted to do. And I respect that a lot more than trying to... Uh, sorry, you might have lost me for a second. Hello? You're, you're, you're good. Sorry. It's all good. I'm good. My, 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 I had to go on low power mode. All right. Um, I guess, you know, I wanted, I don't want to be stuck. I don't know where I'm going to be years from now. And recently, since I've been indoors much more, I've been writing a lot more of my songs on acoustic guitar, which is something I have not done before ever. Right. And then putting them to the style of what I do. Um, I always think that Haunt will always kind of have this. Some people have criti criticized me on this. They don't know what I'm doing. There's there's one style, then there's another style, and then there's another style. It's I feel it's cohesive. I like being a little bit more eclectic. And I've asked my fans, I go, do you guys want me to just be one thing? Or do you like this, like, you know, I could go from fast, I could go from slow, I can go to mid-tempo. Yeah. A lot of bands don't have those gears. True. A lot yeah. of them have one gear, and they just are in that gear. I have first, second, and third, and soon to maybe be fourth. I don't know. But I don't want there to be that limit. And I, the only reason that I don't really want to be put into that... I, I'm not saying that I don't want to be in it. I love being involved with these bands that are in new. I like new wave of traditional heavy metal music a lot. I, I connect with it a lot, but I also feel like I'm a rocker. I don't feel like I'm your typical metalhead. Okay. I do not have a Judas Priest back patch. I do not have <laughs> an Iron Maiden back patch. I have Finn Lizzie. I have Sammy Hagar. I have Van Halen. Yeah. There's a, I'm just not that guy. I just never was. I've always been a little bit more. My biggest influence in my life musically is Ozzy Osbourne, who I wouldn't even put in this. You couldn't put him in the same league as Halford or Bruce. They're totally different. And that's kind of where I am. And then some of the new wave of British heavy metal bands that I'm really inspired by, like Angel Witch. Yeah. He didn't really go over the top. It wasn't necessary. And look at his career. 
is interesting. I've read, I have a couple of new wave of British heavy metal books in my bookcase over here that I got in England when I was in England just okay. recently. And I, and I read about them and man, Angel Witch, he tried to have a singer. He did all these things that, you know, he might've thought, I'm talking about Kevin Hayburn. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know specifically. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you that this is the reality of it, but my perspective is he was trying to find this like outrageous singer that would fit that heavy metal world. And come to 2019, he just put out one of the best records last, or was it this year? It was this year, Angel of Light. Yeah. Where yeah. he's singing and mm. doing what he was supposed to do in the first place. Yeah. He shouldn't have ever strayed from singing. I think that's where he fucked up is you listen to some of those later Angel Witch records that he didn't sing on, you're like, eh, whatever. There's some good licks and there's some good songs, but he could have stayed singing in it. And I liked his voice. Another band that had weird singing that wasn't Halford-esque or Bruce-esque, Def Leppard, who I have one of the largest enamel pin collections in my drawer over here, that (laughs) if we were doing a live video, I would show it. But I I do not think that initially you listen to his voice he was never going over the top he definitely went to a scream later mm. but and some falsetto stuff but those early records i actually like better i like high on dry more than i like hysteria period right. so you're, um, you're more rooted in rock anyway you're saying more so yes, than yes heavy metal. i guess the answer is that it's like there is a it, there is the heavy metal but it's like it's so rock and roll uh roots based that I fear that if I get pigeonholed, I'll do exactly what I do with Beastmaker. I will kill Haunt. Yeah. Like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Um, you mentioned Sammy Hagar there. Obviously your dad is Bill Church who played in Montrose and I've worked on a lot of albums with Sammy Hagar. Uh, was, yeah. I, know, I know he probably kind of left music as you were, as you were quite young, you've just told me your age there. So I'm just doing the maths in my head. But, um, so did you kind of grow up in the music business or was he all finished with that by the time you were old enough to realize? I was, he was definitely, my dad's always been in bands, but like he told me he had a lot of offers after Sammy left for Van Halen. Ted Nugent offered him a gig, Night Ranger, loads of bands knew of my dad, but he told me that he did not like being away from me at all. He didn't like it. He wanted to raise me and teach me about life. And he left the major music business to, he just played in bands and on the weekends and stuff and always stayed active musically. He's a great musician. It would be impossible for him to stop. He just minimalized it to fit his life, how he wanted to to live out his life. Um, So even at that, my dad was just the bass player. He didn't know the complexities that Sammy would have. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Mm. So there was, a, there was a big disconnect. And even though I, I grew up with it, I kind of had to, I never wanted in my earliest, like when Beastmaker was getting started, I told Rise Above, I said, I do not want to be known as the uh, bassist of Montrose Sun. Yeah. <laughs> it took me a while to really kind of s- to let that be a known thing because I didn't want people to think it was just handed to me because of that. Yeah. 
Well, well, I only found because out that 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 could be a conception that people would be like, "Oh, his dad was famous," and blah blah blah. I look at a lot of people that are in that situation, especially Sammy's son Andrew, who's a good friend of mine. Mm. He has big pressure from these people that I always have been the guy that's there and been like, "Andrew, do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. Don't listen to these people." Yeah. Because they 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 want it to be oh it's got to be like got to be so amazing your Sammy's son well what if it ain't yeah of who course. cares yeah yeah and so, so there's a lot of expectations put on us kids of rock stars there just is even Danny Harrison George's son is never get how the fuck are you gonna live up to a Beatle you yeah. cannot of course not so yeah. and I feel like that's been a thing that's always plagued sons of rock stars even though my dad is a bass player yeah, yeah. um he, he he's not up there with those guys yeah granted he's been on some amazing records montrose was considered a failure when they were when my dad was in montrose yeah they yeah. failed mm. they didn't go platinum until like a two decades later mm. so um there's a lot of weirdness to that and um although I look at this, those guys for influences, and they definitely influenced me. Sam, a huge influence on me because of his fan stuff he does with his fans. That's why I started doing the live stuff. I'm like, man, there ain't nobody on the planet that knows how to connect to his fans like Sammy Hagar. Okay. He puts his fans on stage with him. Yeah. He always has, like, he always has fans behind him. They're always, he's always doing all these huge meet and greets and 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 for a price that is way cheaper than anybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you look at if certain rock stars meet and greets prices to Sammy Hagar's prices, you're gonna find that you like Sammy better. Well, I think you can meet Kiss for about seven grand or something like that if you want. <laughs> yeah, you could always meet somebody for the price. There's yeah. always a price on everything, yeah. except for I think Sammy has always been a man of the fan, and that's. That's how he stayed so relevant all these years is he really puts himself out there. Good and stuff. I respect that a lot. I don't like his music now. And I can say that probably to him. If he said, what do you think of the new Circle record? I'd be like, it's a turd. Sorry. <laughs> love you, but I don't right. like it. Uh, right. I loved his early work. His early works when he was hungry and really like wasn't worried about being the most produced man on the planet. He was great, and his work with Van Halen even better. Good stuff. Okay, look, I am I am conscious I've taken up a lot of your time, so I'm going to wrap this up. Um, I just I just wanted to ask, and I'm almost afraid to ask because I read on Facebook a while back that you had uh, plans for the next 48 songs written. But um, obviously, yeah. we know about Beautiful Distraction. But after, yeah. beyond that, um, what's what's next for Haunt? Beyond that, <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, we're in a weird we're in COVID nineteen, and we can't play live which is a very interesting thing. So, um, after, you know, I'm going to kind of stick to my, my initial plan of doing an album and EP a year. Uh, I, I think we'll see some more collaborative stuff too, but as far as haunt goes, you'll definitely see beautiful distraction in 2021 followed by who knows if I'm going to do an EP or an album. I haven't really decided yet because it's something I've been conflicted with because I'm like, what's the difference between a fucking EP and an album for me? I could shit out eight songs just as easily <laughs> as I could shit out four. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I'm like, there's not really a big 
different. So I might actually change my 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 game plan to two albums a year. Um, and it really all depends on how it all just kind of comes out. I thought I'd be done with Beautiful Distraction, yet I'm not. Mm. It's been I've had the drums recorded for five months, except for I have not even. I just did the bass last week. And I'm going to start doing guitar now. I've got most of the solos are done. That's a big part. Solos actually are what really stopped me in my tracks a lot of times. Because I'm like, oh, God, I got to go out there for four hours. Yeah. You know, because I get really in my head there. It's one of my biggest things these days is to make my solos perfect. So you'll see Beautiful Distraction in 2021, followed by an EP or another record. That's the plan. And maybe an acoustic record. Okay. Interesting. Of, of, old, of old songs, not new ones. Very interesting. Um, I've been working, because like I said, I've been playing a lot more acoustically lately, 12 string. Um, my acoustic guitar has been seeing a lot of love lately. I think it's because I've really, over the years, I've really struggled as an acoustic player, even though I, some would go, God, you're great on acoustic. I felt like I sucked ass. So I've really taken, I've really taken this opportunity of being home and not touring as a time to really kind of develop my skill there and feel more confident. And some of the songs that I've been playing acoustically, I'm just like, wow, this really works. And uh, so maybe something that's a little bit uncomfortable for me. Right. Okay. Always put yourself outside your comfort zone. Take a little... Take take a risk that's not like Megadeth's risk, <laughs> if that makes any sense. I will never, I will never go that far. Like that, that album isn't too have, bad. Gets a hard oh, time. Oh, oh man, I can't do it. I can't listen to Rust in Peace and Rust and Risk in the same day. It has to be a completely different day, and right. I have to be driving. I have to be driving to listen to Risk. Like, I can't listen to Risk at home. Impossible. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, look, uh, I really appreciate your time, Trevor. I'm going to leave it there. No so problem. Make sure to check out Haunt uh, at Haunt the Nation on Facebook and just Haunt on Bandcamp. Um, it's hauntthenation.bandcamp. Bandcamp. But on Facebook, it's hauntthenation.bandcamp.com. But on, on Facebook, yeah. it's just Haunt the Nation, isn't it? Yeah, same with Instagram. Okay, on Instagram too. Good stuff. Look, thanks a million, Trevor. I really appreciate it. Looking forward no to problem. new Haunt stuff and also new Oath releases and the uh, Saber release as well. So Hysteria too. Hysteria. Okay. Don't forget Hysteria, of course. All right, man. Cheers. Thank you so Thank much. You. Have Bye. a great day. You too. Thanks. Cheers. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Cheers, man. Okay, that was Trevor William Church from Haunt. I hope you enjoyed that interview or what I could save from the source material anyway. Um, but yeah, I thought Trevor was a really entertaining guest. Never stuck for a few words. Uh, it's much better to have a guest that will talk at length about things than somebody who only answers in short sentences. Um, I quite enjoyed the bit at the end, actually, where we talked about his dad, Bill Church, and what it's like being a son of a rock star and the weight that you carry around with you as a result of that. So uh, thanks for everything you... Uh, Thanks for everything on that episode, Trevor. I really feel that you gave open and honest answers about everything I asked you, so I really appreciate that. Um, and funnily enough, we spoke about Oath quite a lot in the opening of the podcast. And the singer and guitarist, and basically he, he does everything in Oath, he's quite like Trevor, as Trevor mentioned, uh, 
uh, Stephen Waddle is my guest next week. Um, so that's actually in the can already. I just finished recording it now in real time. Maybe you're not interested in all this real time shit. I don't know. But um, yeah, <laughs> I recorded it just now, just this evening in real time. Uh, and that's going to be up on Friday, the 6th of November. Uh, this episode is obviously going to be up on the 30th of October as I speak now. Um, so yeah, Stephen Waddle. That is coming your way next week, uh, and that was Trevor William Church, and after that, I really don't know, because I've no guests lined up, so this is going to be an interesting time for Feckin' Metal. For the first time in a long time, I have nothing coming down the the, down the line. There's the word line about 900 times. Um, time in a long time. No, I only said line once. I said time. Anyway, whatever. They all rhyme with each other. Uh, okay, so that's going to do it for this episode. No idea who I'm going to have next uh, after, after Stephen. Um, but we'll see maybe by the time I record the intro and outro for Stephen's episode in a few days I'll have somebody else lined up and I can tease you like I like to do at the end of the episode so thanks very much that's feckin' metal now feck off shite I forgot to say uh, I'm gonna play out on a haunt song so this is from the latest haunt release called Triumph which shit I forgot to say I'm gonna play us out on a haunt song so this is from the latest haunt release called Triumph which is available digitally at the moment on Bandcamp that's the only place you'll get currently but you can pre-order the physical release um, on Bandcamp as well which is currently scheduled to be released in January 2021 and Triumph is a re-recording of two EPs from the early days of Haunt that's the original uh, Haunt release Luminous Eyes and the later release Mosaic Vision so it's both of those EPs re-recorded and improved across the board so this song is the first song that got me into Haunt but it's the re-released version from Triumph this is called Luminous Eyes enjoy Good boy. 